0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. We continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, today. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, as Dr. Neufeld brings us a message entitled, Knowing Your Sanctification.
1: Have you ever seen a straight river? You know, canals that are engineered are straight, but rivers, well, they're all crooked, and we call it meandering. So why are rivers crooked? Well, the answer is that all rivers run downhill and will always take the easiest way around any obstacle. And When you find a stretch where a river does run straight, you'll know that it's only a small stretch. All rivers are crooked by nature. You have to engineer them to become straight. Well, people are like that. By very nature, we run downhill, and when we encounter God along the way, we find Him to be an obstacle and will meander around Him and continue to run downhill. We're crooked by nature. You have to engineer us to be straight. I've been doing a two-week topical series entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation, and just like the computer technology that almost all of us have available to us, but very few actually utilize to full advantage, so also Many of us have not understood the full nature of our salvation, nor have taken full advantage of what is available to us. And furthermore, I've tried to apply an image to each aspect of our salvation from you know a voting booth to an accountant's ledger, to an operation theater, to a courtroom, to a living room, and to a marriage altar. And today the image I have is the image of an engineer. So what's sanctification? well it's engineering of a life until it's made into holiness and what i mean here is that our lives are engineered to be more and more free from sin and more and more like christ that's engineering work and it can only happen to someone who's experienced salvation the text i've chosen is philippians 2:12 to 16 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence Now, in this text, you will notice that Paul is proud of the way this group of Christians have been obedient to Christ. But he's urging them not to be content with past victories. Rather, they're to demonstrate even greater acts of obedience to Christ than they have in the past. And since God is just and demands perfect holiness in all his people, they are to do so with fear and trembling, that is, with awe and reverence to God. But lest the Philippians think this is too hard, they're to remember that God is at work in them in two different ways. God is causing them to will to obey. You see, it's an engineering process. That is, he is giving them an inward attitude that makes obedience desirable like something they want to do. Look at it this way. Let's assume you have a task, and your task as a stay-at-home mom is to clean and vacuum and dust and refresh the house and whatever else it is. And you might say, well, I don't want to do that, but I realize I have to. Does that sound familiar? Well, let's say you just purchased a new house, the house of your dreams. And before you moved in, you had to clean and maybe paint and move in the boxes. It was a lot of work, but you had no difficulty with motivation because you had a will, you had a strong desire to do it. In fact, you can hardly wait to get on with the task. And the miracle that Paul is addressing in these Philippian believers is that God is at work in the life of every believer that makes them desire and will and want obedience. That's the first thing that God does. Second, God is also causing us to work. That is, he provides the enablement to do that which we really want to do. But of course, having said all of that, we still have to do it. We still have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to become obedient. So then in sanctification, in our growth in obedience, in our growth in learning to say no to sin, and in our growth to becoming more and more like Jesus, there is, if you will, a kind of partnership in which we cooperate with God. He deals with our desire and ability, and we must then harness that desire and ability, and we must work out our salvation. Now, before we get into the details of how we grow as Christians, let's take a step back for just a moment and ask about God's plan for sanctification. First, as I've said, it begins at conversion. And when I spoke about regeneration, I noticed that God has given us a new heart. See, we needed a new heart. That's because no one seeks God. We're like that meandering river. We naturally go downhill, avoiding God. But God, by an act of supernatural grace, has changed our inner nature. And from that moment, we saw that the work of sanctification had already begun. We had already received a new set of desires. And every new Christian says exactly that. They say, once I loved sin, but now I love Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old was our previous old heart. We didn't see God, and we preferred sin to grace. The new is a heart that now turns from the past and turns to him. Paul puts it in this way in in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So I hope you see the profound nature of the mystery of our salvation. Salvation always involves a break with the past, Whatever you once were, whatever your lifestyle, after conversion, this is your lifestyle no more. See, I've always loved this story that's been told of Augustine. You know, before his conversion, he'd been quite sexually immoral, and one day after his conversion, he ran into a former mistress on the street, and he recognized and quickly began to walk in the opposite direction. And the woman recognized him, and she called out, Augustine, it is I. But Augustine kept going and he called back, yes, but it is not I. You know, many of you testify to that very thing. You've made a break with the past. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. So at the very outset, we can see that whenever a conversion is a genuine one, there is a turn from a former lifestyle and embracing of the lifestyle of Christ. That's why 1 John 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It means that we simply can't live in the pattern of continual sin that we had before we had met Christ. So 2 Peter chapter 2 warns us of the person who is, in verse 17, the waterless spring. That is, this is the person who seems to have had a salvation experience, but they've never changed. Peter said it's like a dog returning to eat its own vomit. The very act of conversion, the receiving of a new heart, makes us vomit out our former lifestyles and sin styles. We should never go back and eat it again. So we've noticed that God's plan for sanctification began at our conversion because a new heart was given to us, or God had placed his seed in us, or we became a new man or a new woman. And that's what Paul was getting at in the Philippians when he said that God is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But of course, that's not where sanctification stops. First, we said it begins at conversion, but second, it's supposed to grow throughout our lives. That's to say, we are to be constantly more mature, more obedient, more resistant to sin, more open to God's Spirit. And by the way, that's the expectation of every child of God. The late Chuck Colson, I think, said it very well. He said, holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make and the things we do hour by hour, day by day. We are, according to the Bible, to make every effort. We are to forget what lies behind. We're to strain toward that which is before us. We are always to be taking every thought and action captive to the obedience of Christ. That's great counsel for all of us. You are to forget your former passions. You are to press forward and use every effort to grow in holiness. You are to seek to win the prize. So then I know that holiness begins at our conversion and it's supposed to grow throughout our life. And and third, it is completed at death. Hebrews 12:23 describes the citizens of heaven as that of just men made perfect. First Corinthians 15:23 promises that in eternity, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. So we know that at death, our sanctification has been completed. Now, that's the background to sanctification, growing in holiness. Something pure and holy has begun in our conversion. We are to continue to seek for holiness throughout all of our lives, and we are to await for its final completion.
0: With so many interruptions in our lives, including opportunity to travel, we want to share that we are now offering registration for our 2022 Israel experience. This is a bucket list experience like none other. An opportunity to travel to the Holy Land, experience so many of the locations where Jesus, Paul, David, and so many others walked. Visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, Capernaum, David's royal palace, worship at the garden tomb, and sail the Sea of Galilee, all under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld. So plan on joining us from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, for the Israel Experience hosted by Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld, Again's Phil Calloway, and special musical guests. The Holy Land is a spectacular journey of faith. Registration is limited, so call Back to the Bible Canada at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash israelexperience.
1: Please notice how different sanctification is to justification. Justification, which involves our legal standing before God, is once and for all completed. We are now forgiven and exonerated. Our sins were nailed onto Christ. Nothing can be added to that. But sanctification is not perfect in this life. And furthermore, some people will exhibit a greater degree of holiness than others. But it is the goal of all believers to become perfect in holiness. And if that's not you, well, you've not been born again. You've believed in vain. But how do we become more and more holy? How is that achieved? You'll remember that when we started, we noticed that sanctification is a partnership in which we cooperate with God. So let's talk about that. Let's start with God's role in our sanctification. First, God the Father is at work in us. That's what Philippians 2 taught us. God is at work both to will and to work. So how does he do that? Sometimes, no doubt, he urges us on. But God has many means to cause us to become holy. I mean, we can look at some, Hebrews 12, verse seven and following, God disciplines us. He deliberately brings hardship and suffering into our lives. It's not punishment, it's discipline. The punishment for our sins was born by Christ on his cross. This is something else. God often brings suffering and unpleasant, painful experiences into our lives and helps us to be shaped by them, breaking our reliance on idols, making us hope in him and not in the world and so forth. There are numerous ways in which God sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Indeed, that's what God does. And so the Father is at work in us. Second, the Son is our example. 1 Peter 2.21 says that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. In other words, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and wanting to be like him. That's but one example. So let's say that we're being unjustly treated in your job. Uh, You can say, oh God, deliver me from this, and and that's a good thing to pray, but what if he doesn't? What if this is a part of the Father's discipline? Well, you might then say, well, I remember that that Christ was treated worse than I am, and this is my opportunity to identify with Christ and to imitate Christ's example at this moment. Now we can think of more scenarios, but, but the point is made. All believers want to be like Christ, so the Father is at work in us, the Son is our example, and the Spirit is our prompter. Ephesians 4.30 tells us that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. In the context of Ephesians 4.30, that means that someone who is a Christian becomes, you know, guilty of lying, and and that can happen, or someone is angry and unforgiving, or someone is guilty of theft, perhaps from work, or someone's lazy, not working at all, or someone's using inappropriate language and perhaps even dropping the occasional f-bomb, or worse, using the Lord's name in a common or in a profane fashion. Ephesians 4 uses all of those examples, and with each sin, The Holy Spirit is grieved, meaning he actually weeps for us. The implication is that in order to sin, we have to directly resist the promptings of the Spirit. That's because the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is producing fruit, making us more like Jesus in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and so forth. Please understand, the Father regenerated you at conversion. He has been at work in you, both to will and to work. The Son has presented to you the kind of life that you want, and the Spirit is prompting you on and empowering you for the goal. Now, you think that's enough, and it is, but our passage in Philippians 2.12 says that we need to work this out with fear and with trembling. We need, on the basis of what God has done, to engineer our own change. So then, although God's part is the foundational work, we know that there is something for us to do. So what's our part? Well, first of all, we've got to yield. And what I mean here is simple. We need to stop fighting God on this. And that's what Paul means in Philippians 2.12 when he says, As you have always obeyed, keep doing it. Romans 6.13, we're told, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The implication is that we come to God and we present ourselves and our bodies to God. It's a constant thing. We keep coming to him and we keep saying, oh God, I present myself to you. I deliver myself to you. I yield myself to you. Now, how do we do this? Well, part of the answer rests in practicing disciplines in our lives that make us aware of the presence of God so that we yield daily to him. You know, for years, I followed the practice where I would regularly read the Ten Commandments, and after each one, I would say, Lord, I submit. I'd read all ten, and I'd say, I yield to you. I know a great number of Bible readers who tell me each day in their Bible reading, I will look at least two things. I look for one command, and then I say, Lord, I submit. And then I look for one promise, and I say to the Lord, I believe. And there are no shortcuts in growing in sanctification. It was Eugene Peterson who put it this way, in our kind of culture, anything, even news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier Christians called holiness. See, I've often prayed with Christians who say, pray for me. I seem so lifeless in my relationship to God and I love praying for them for that. But I also wanna ask, have you been faithfully reading your Bible? Are you praying every day? Do you make a practice of confessing your sins? Are you faithful in your church or are you hit and miss? Are you part of a Bible study group meeting with and becoming accountable to others? Are you yielding your members entirely to Christ? Is there a daily act of consecration in your life in which you confess that Christ is your Lord every day? You need to make a practice of yielding and presenting and submitting to God. The older theologians spoke of something they called the mortification of the flesh. And the term mortification comes from a root word, it's mort. It means to murder or to kill. They meant you need to become violent with your inner tendency to sin. And theologically, it looks like this. You received a new nature at conversion, but your flesh has a memory for repeated habitual tendencies to sin. And if you don't watch out, if you don't engineer for holiness, the flesh is going to overwhelm your will and force you into enslavement into old patterns. And there is a way to deal with that. It's called the mortification of the flesh. Colossians 3, 5 to 6 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, put to death means that you need to take extreme measures to conquer sinful patterns. This may involve confessing your sin to someone. It does mean that we need to stay away from areas of weakness, and we need to stop feeding on sin. Imagine you have two dogs living in one house. One is mean-spirited and bites, and the other is good-natured and a loyal friend. And whenever you put food out, the big mean one muscles in on it and eats it all. And after a while, you notice the good dog is looking pretty gaunt and can't fend for himself. What's to be done? And the answer, stop feeding the bad dog. Starve him out. Start feeding the good dog. In practical terms, you're going to have to deliberately starve your flesh. You must deny yourself those pleasures that feed the flesh and cut off all things that feed the flesh. You see, not only must you yield, but second, you must strive. Do you remember what I said at the beginning? I said, straight rivers are engineered. And whenever you see someone who lives a holy and sanctified life, their life has been a deliberate life. It's been an engineered life. They didn't just fall into that due to their nature or their easy tendencies. Rather, they actively pursued God and they actively fought the fight against evil tendency. If you commit yourself to that, you will find that there is more than enough power to keep going. See, God is already at work in you. You're not starting from the starting blocks. God has moved you down. You are able to do this. I know that right now there are those who are listening to me and you're overwhelmed with darkness and you're not even sure that you're a believer. And to you, I wanna say, you might wanna pray three things. Say, Lord, change my heart, help me to love what you love. Number two, pray this, Lord, give me the power to keep the disciplines of communion with you so that I can feed the good dog. And number three, help me never to stop fighting so that I might kill the flesh. It's a great benefit. Our sanctification, growth into holiness, is not too hard for us. It can be
0: done by anyone who trusts in the Lord. John, thank you so much. A great message. But on the whole topic of holiness, can I ask you, is holiness optional for the believer?
1: Yeah, it's never optional. I mean, um, and it's not just that, you know, we need to say to people it's not optional, which we do need to say, uh, but we need to add something to that. It's the greatest privilege that we could have to become holy like God so that, you know, we would uh, turn our backs from all that is sinful uh, because we begin to hate sin for for sin's sake. You know, we, we just can't stand it anymore. And that we delight in every act of obedience, Bring all things in submission to him. What a privilege that is for all of us who love him.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. back to the Bible. Canada has just released a new book written by Dr. John Newfeld entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The moment Christ died for our sins, we've been pronounced not guilty in God's law court. When you understand the depth of your salvation and the powerful benefits available to you within it, not only will you be transformed, but your joy and confidence will be apparent to all. And if we could use anything these days, it's the joy of our salvation. While Making the Most of Your Salvation will teach you how to access the blessings that God has already put in place through the glory of your salvation. Order your copy online today as our free gift during the month of February. Visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-663. 2425.